All right, with great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. The Trino Community Broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings within the open source Trino community and show off some cool stuff about Trino. I am your host, Brian Olson, co-host. <laughs> and, and I'm that other co-host, Manfred Moser. <laughs> and we have two awesome guests today as well from the Apache Superset community. Srini and Beto, welcome. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, we're going to make you hang out with us today. So <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, this week, we have a lot of cool stuff. Uh, we, we unfortunately, this week, did not get to a release that we can talk about all the way yet. But I, I would like to, uh, whenever you do talk about the release, Manfred, maybe you, I don't know, if, do you want to hint at anything or do we want to just save it for, for the next show? Because there's no, a really there's cool feature to coming out. Remember, this is an open source project. Everything is out there. That's open. right. You can just see it. That's also and true. There, <laughs> there, we are assembling the release notes for 3.53. It's like, like literally around the corner. With a little bit of luck, on Monday, you'll have the binaries ready for you. So yeah. So so this episode, we're we're uh, so we got you know the, these wonderful folks from Preset, uh, uh, which is a company that builds on top of Apache Superset. It's an open source uh, visualization platform, and uh, they, uh, I'll let them talk a little bit more about what it is here in a little bit. But we wanted to kind of uh, show we have kind of members from both communities here uh, joining us today. We wanted to kind of touch a little bit on what is Trino and kind of what we do, uh, and we're also going to go into from a Trino perspective, like you know, talk a little bit about clients in general, uh, and that's going to kind of motivate us and move us towards uh, maybe talking about the uh, Apache Superset, getting into more of the interview, uh, and then basically um, we'll uh, we'll do a couple fun little demos, and uh, uh, and after that, and this demo is going to be some pretty cool data set. It's uh, some you know mixing, of course, the data set that everybody sees nowadays, COVID, plus uh, uh, plane flights that are going on. So it's kind of cool to see some of the uh, you know correlations and things that are going on uh, when uh, w between the two data sets. So uh, it's probably a lot of things that you'll expect, but it's it's cool to verify that our expectations and data all the time, anyways. So um, so why why don't we just go ahead and uh, Manfred? Do you want to just talk? about the little bits uh, of, and pieces about 353 and I might chime in with my one little feature that I'm super pumped about. <laughs> well, so for 353, we're, there's literally, we wanted to cut it really quickly after 352 because there was one sort of correctness bug, but uh, time ran away with us and the, a whole bunch of more documentation and other things are sneaking in now. Uh, so it's going to be a sizable release again not like the usual a whole backload of stuff but it's going to be sizable and have a few good in, uh, improvements around like the kafka connector and stuff like that so can good. i can i tell you my one uh feature that i just found i literally found out about this last night i think it just we just got added to the release uh um very recently and that you is mean the clickhouse connector oh damn you <laughs> <laughs> so so clickhouse connector uh is is getting added and uh uh yeah it's it's been in the making for like the last eight months now i think and uh it's been it was contributed by I, I think uh, somebody who's pretty new to the Presto or Trino, Presto. Oh my God, there I go again. Uh, Trino community, and uh, and yeah, they they basically uh, added this on. What's cool about this is like 
this falls into a, a kind of a, a, a category of databases uh, that really, you know, narrow in on the sub second latency stuff for like kind of doing stuff that we're, we're pow- empowering today, like Apache Superset, uh, Pino uh, uh, and databases like, uh, sorry, Pino, um, ClickHouse and uh, Druid. These are like kind of the three uh, players in the space uh, that, that handle a lot of this, like they do these custom indexes, they handle all this real time stuff just so that like you can get your data as quick and as quickly as possible and then like search it and and like very quickly update like your your graphs or any of your visualizations on the front end so uh so that's where these things kind of specialize and so we had two of them you know we had druid and pino but now we're we're adding in kind of the third big player and that's i think that's huge for for us to to uh, get all three because I know ClickHouse is just, I mean, I, I'm seeing it everywhere. It's growing in popularity. I, I didn't see it for the longest time. And then I read this blog and it's like, I saw it everywhere. It's like when you, when you buy a car of a certain like make and model and color, and then you see that car everywhere. Once you say <laughs> that's like, that's practically what I felt like when I saw, learned about ClickHouse. So, um, so very excited about that feature. Uh, we'll talk about it a little more next uh, show whenever we get more in the nitty gritty of 353 and who knows, maybe 354 by that time. So, uh, so with that, uh, Manfred, do you want to take it away on concept of the yeah, week? Yeah, that's actually a good kind of like a segment because you're talking about a ClickHouse connector and that's an important concept. So to understand as an Apache Superset user maybe and um, what Trino is, Trino is a distributed massively parallel SQL query engine. So what the, that's a, a mouthful, but what does it actually mean? So Trino was founded as Presto at Facebook in 2012, has been around for a really long time and um, it was created to query Hive uh, data. So a Hadoop uh, file system with the metadata in Hive uh, at high performance. So it's much faster than HiveQL and it uses normal standard SQL. What then, however, happened is um, a plugin system was introduced um, where you can create connectors. And what Trino allows you to now to do now is you can use the same SQL query language implemented in Trino slash formerly Presto um, against any of the connected data sources. So you can connect, I don't know, Azure storage or a Minio file system or a Kafka stream or Elasticsearch engine uh, uh, index and um, and of course, also things like ClickHouse or relational databases like Oracle or Postgres or whatever. All of those can be connected. All of them are, are available for you to query at the same time via the standard SQL. And of course, um, that's great um, to query multiple uh, data sources and have collections between them, right? Like you, maybe you have a, a web traffic log that's pumped into Elasticsearch, but at the same time, you have an Oracle customer database that has the records for that. And you wanna sort of pull that data together. Um, Trino allows you to do that with normal SQL queries. And that's where clients come into place, right? Like Trino uh, is very fast. It runs on a cluster with multiple nodes. It's optimized for analytics um, and it uh, allows you to query it with SQL. But obviously that's kind of awesome but who wants to really write all the SQL queries, right? Nobody does, right? And that's where clients come in. Uh, in order to connect uh, uh, like some sort of more powerful tool, especially awesome visualization tools like Apache Superset, um, you need a, some sort of client connection so that it can talk to Trino so that Trino can then on its behalf 
talk to the under underlying data sources. And that's what we want to talk about today. So in the past, we talked about, in past episodes, we talked about how Trino receives the query from the user or the tool and then goes through query planning, uh, optimizes how to read from multiple uh, data sources, how to parallelize the reading, optimize the query plan, all sorts of like low level details. Now what happens on the other end is what we talk about today. So once you have a connected data source uh, and Trino knows about the query it needs to run, the individual Trino workers in a cluster, you can have anywhere from, you know, two or three of what we call workers to literally hundreds or more. And they can all talk to the specific, to the data sources via the specified connector. So if you want to talk to, to a PostgreSQL database, you have the Postgres connector um, configured in your catalog. So those workers talk to the data sources, get the data, then they talk to each other and do aggregations and all that kind of stuff within Trino. And then they get it all back to what's the final um, sort of the orchestrating node in a Trino cluster, which we call the coordinator. It does the final processing. So it then aggregates all the information. It is also the one where it all started, like it received the query from the user and um, sent out, like created the plan and so on. But in the end, ultimately the data comes back to the coordinator and the coordinator supplies it back to whoever requested it via HTTP. So there's a HTTP slash RESTy kind of interface um, that uh, is provided to the clients. And that client can be default clients that we have such as the JDBC driver or the Trino CLI. They kind of wrap that HTTP traffic uh, and they translate the data then further into whatever user interface there is. Like, like and if you write a Java application, then obviously you don't want to have to talk to the REST API. You just use the JDBC driver. And, and Manfred, like, so so basically when you say wrap, it's it's basically making those HTTP REST calls for you. It's it's already, exactly, it takes right? those like, so, inputs. Yeah, yeah, when you have a Java application, you just go connect via, like you open a JDBC driver sort of thing connection, and then you can go like, give me the record set. And then the client, the JDBC driver knows how to do that. Yeah. The CLI, the Trino CLI makes even more. You can type your SQL query and it does all the thing all the way in. Yep. Um, and then of course, um, as a user, then you see the data, right? Like say you run a query and you re return like a couple of thousand records. Well, you'll see the first 100 on your screen and then um, you got that streamed back. The client, and then once you like, press like next page or whatever, the client potentially goes back and gets more of those data, that data, right? So it's not a pure REST API sort of thing because it has to stream the data, obviously, right? Like there can be tons and tons of data returned, especially with like rich visualizations and stuff like that in superset, that goes a lot more. So, so you should be using what we call a Trino client if you want to interface with Trino or an application that uses a Trino client. So what, tri what Trino clients are there? Well, from the Trino project, we have the JDBC driver, obviously, very uh, popular, automatically opens up all the applications that are written in any in any sort of Java-based framework, or also Scala, like the quick visualization tool and others. We have the Trino CLI, which is a command line tool that runs on Linux or whatever is Java-written uh, command line tool which allows you to run it anywhere and write the queries yourself, but it also has like a pager built in and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's also pretty handy even for just testing. Um, 
We then importantly have a Python client, so the Trino Python client. We have a Trino Go client. All of those are maintained by the Trino project and they get like features added, like, you know, um, support for different authentication systems and like all that kind of stuff. And then in the community, um, there's more things. So there's, for example, um, my and mine and uh, Brian's employers, the sponsor of this podcast, which uh, opens a, uh, supplies a established enterprise, which is a sort of commercial distribution of Trino, also offers a ODBC driver. So uh, if you have some sort of Windows application that needs ODBC rather than JDBC, then you can connect that on Windows or Unix or whatever. Um, and then in the community, there's also clients for like tools like R or Node.js and other libraries like that. Yeah. Now, the Python world, um, that leads us a little bit to towards um, Apache Superset because Apache Superset is written in Python pretty much as far as I know. Not all the way, or is it? Is it all the way? Nice. Well, the front end is JavaScript, React. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. The back end is Python. Um, we're working on a Node.js sidecar also for async queries. Hmm. Oh, okay, cool. So it's it's in Python, and as you can see, I'm not a Pythonist or a Pythonier at all. Python, uh, Python noob. <laughs> Python noob, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, obviously, I've written in many, many programming languages, but I never dove deeper into Python. But I know enough to be dangerous, let's just say it, say it that way. <laughs> so what happens in Python is there is a, a typical API to interact with, um, uh, with uh, databases. It's called the DB API. Uh, version 2 from PEP 249 is now sort of like the standard. And it's, it's basically part of the standard libraries that every Python program uses. The Trino Python client that we maintain basically provides an implementation of that API. Um, so it handles the whole complexity of the REST API for you and exposes a standard DB API for, for Python users. So that's pretty awesome. And it supports like authentication and like the usual DB API endpoints. That's essentially the, the preferred endpoint, the preferred way to connect to Trino if you are writing in Python, because otherwise you have to implement the REST API and that's a pain. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so the DB API is really good, um, but it goes a bit further. So in the Python world, there's a bunch of other things that are uh, suitable or sort of like uh, are used as well. So there's SQL Alchemy. That's a, a SQL toolkit. Actually, is it called SQL Alchemy or SQL Alchemy? I don't know. That's a good question. I say SQL <laughs> I, Alchemy. I, I think most people say SQL Alchemy. We're yeah, going to lose a I lot of fans. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was on a, I was on a podcast a while ago, and we were talking about Presto and Presto SQL. And I just said SQL, and later I got the feedback, you shouldn't have said SQL. SQL, SQL, <laughs> everything else. It's so, it's so wrong. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. If, if. Tomato, tomato. That's the kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think when SQL is like standalone, you can people say SQL or SQL, but then when it's merged onto another word, they always say SQL. It's a funny, yeah, it's a funny thing. Yeah, yeah. But basically, so SQL Alchemy is is, is a is an SQL toolkit, so it provides a whole bunch of features on top of the DBA to make it more useful. It also is an ORM mapper, but that's kind of like a separate tool. It's not really necessary and that's very widely used including apache superset and i think it is also the tool that supports multiple dialects so as you know sql is awesome it's standardized but it's also terrible because no one really follows the standard <laughs> so like 
uh, Trino is actually super awesome because it follows the standard very, very closely. So if there's one database that tries to follow the data, the, the standards very closely, it's probably PostgreSQL. Um, Trino is in that level. Like it follows the standard very, very closely. Martin, Dane and David are like deep, deep SQL nerds, <laughs> like looking at the standard and stuff like that. And whenever there's a decision to be made about what is implemented, they always like follow the standard. And that's, it's proven to be really, really awesome because tools like Superset can rely on it and don't have to like, you know, code around the weird words of like that specific SQL algorithm. So SQL Alchemy is that sort of like has an implementation layer around that. And I think then um, Superset uses that. There's a couple of other things in Python that I want to mention, and maybe Srini and Beto, you can explain to me how useful they are. So there's PyHive, but I think that's kind of silly because PyHive basically is there to run Hive queries. So if you run PyHive with Trino, that's kind of pointless because then you run HiveQL into Trino, which actually expects SQL, so it's only going to kind of work. Oh no! So well, you 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 send the SQL yourself. So so PyHive started as as a, a Python DB API library to Hive and and Presto, uh, and it, it handles the connection, but you still need to send the SQL. Uh, yeah, yeah, so but okay. So when you write it, you can you write normal know. SQL and Hive PyHive passes it. Yeah. On. So if you're connecting to Hive, you would send like Hive SQL, Hive QL, and if you're write, sending to Presto, you would send ANSI SQL or Presto SQL. Or so what's Trino the SQL. point of using that with Trino then? Uh, so it, well, it, it implements the REST API, right? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like, you might just use the Trino Python client then. Like, yeah, why? yeah, but the Trino Python client is new, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess the yeah. Well, it was it used to be called the Py, the Presto Python client. It was always there as well. So oh. I think it, maybe it's just historically that the two of them are around. I was yeah. little, like because PyHive is by Dropbox. I I actually didn't know that Presto had a Python DB API before I heard of of the the Trina client. Okay, yeah, no, that's been around a long while. It's been called the Presto Python client. But okay. anyway, so that's around. And then the other two that I found exist as well is there is the Py, uh, you can use the JDBC driver with PySpark. And I think that's actually using PyJDBC, which is another library. That seems a bit crazy in my opinion, because then you basically, you run Python natively. Then you fire up a Java virtual machine to use the JDBC driver to go to the REST API to yeah. go to, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, it, I guess it's kind of workable, but it seems like a silly idea. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Yeah, and then there's also Py OJ, ODBC, same idea, yeah, right? So which we use for, for some of our uh, adapters. Yeah, so that's that's sort of how how the Python the clients hang together in the Python world. And one of the most awesome tools out of the Python world, in my opinion, is Apache Superset. So tell us, Bido and Srini, um, what what does Superset do, and how does it hang in with these clients? Srini, do you want to start? Sure, uh, I'll go first. Um, so Superset, you know, the quick story is uh, Max was at Airbnb trying to visualize Druid data. Um, and I think uh, it basically I, he kind of noticed like, you know, all, all of the rest of the modern data stack has, has been open source and there's a lot of value there, obviously Presto and Trino, right? And, uh, but the BI layer was still very much kind of, you were, you were stuck by whatever the vendors wanted to do. Um, there were a few open source BI options, but 
none that were that mature. Um, and so superset kind of came out of that desire of like, I want to be able to visualize data and create charts and dashboards from wherever my data lives, right? Similar to Trino and Presto, right? Like, why should you be limited um, by where your data happens to currently reside? Um, and so that's kind of originally the vision, uh, the kind of burning desire. Um, and then since then, it's obviously grown to become a much, much larger project. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I think one of the nice things that Max and the community, the rest of the committers have really bet wisely on is betting on these, these strong open source components. So the DB API, SQL Alchemy, um, and then even on charting now, the project is moving to eCharts. So there's kind of this long history of, of picking nice uh, open source partners and, and components so that mm -hmm. uh, SuperSec can can really work with any SQL speaking database. Um, it's not perfect, right? Like as, as we just discussed to talk to some databases, there's some hacky things that have to be done, but um, it, it's kind of built on a good good foundation. Yeah. Uh, and Beta can go a little bit deeper, yeah. There's, and there's a fun story, like, so Superset started as a UI to Druid because uh, like BI tools, they didn't talk to Druid because Druid was new. Um, so Max wrote Superset as a way to talk to Druid. Druid didn't have a SQL interface back then. You would send uh, like a query represented as JSON. So basically like, hey, these are my group eyes, these are my metrics, and you send JSON down the line. Um, so it started as, it, it didn't have SQL at all. It started as a UI to Druid. Eventually, uh, they realized, oh, maybe we should use this to talk to SQL databases. And they implemented, a, using SQL Alchemy, they implemented a path to talk to SQL databases. So for, for a long time, we still have this. We have two paths for running code. One is called the native Druid connector, which sends JSON. The other uh, talks to, to any databases that SQL Alchemy supports. Um, and then you send SQL down the, the, down the line. And then eventually Druid got a SQL interface, uh, a SQL API. So we implemented, I, I created the DB API interface for Druid, uh, the SQL Alchemy dialect. So now we can talk to Druid in two ways and we're deprecating the old way. So uh, of course, SQL is much more flexible if you wanna define custom metrics, if you wanna uh, like express these transformations. So we're just like phasing out the idea of a native connector that requires custom logic, custom way of representing metrics and, and just like sticking to SQL. Um, yeah. So and and like Srini said, I think like the beauty of Superset uh, is like coming from an open source uh, development model. Things are modular, uh, so we, it's easy to add new connect. So it's really easy to iterate, right? Um, if if we have like a user or a customer preset who wants a new database connection, we can quickly implement that. If they want a new kind of visualization, uh, because it needs to be uh, used by multiple companies, we can't really force uh, decisions onto the, the, the product. So everything has to be agreed. We have a process to decide what goes on superset. Uh, so visualizations, they're modular. You can install some visualizations. Some people, they don't want to have those visualizations. So we end up coming with, a, we came up with the modular design. So adding new visualizations is also easy. They're just like plugins that you can add. Um, so that makes the product very flexible. There's a lot of abstractions and interfaces that make it easy to, to adapt to your system. If you want to connect to custom authentication, it's it's relatively straightforward. Um, if you want to add like custom event loggers that send the data to some custom database, it's also easy because we have this need of supporting different infrastructures and like the product grew out of multiple companies. That's cool, but it's um, for like from all I understand, it's Apache superset, right? So it's yeah. an Apache Software Foundation project. 
I guess right. all the components then basically are Apache licensed or at least compatible with exactly, it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah, are you so... on the on the PMC? Yeah. Like, are you like yeah. so, sorry? I have to like clarify a few terms before we talked about. We kept talking about BI. For those that don't know what BI means, it stands for business intelligence. It basically means the whole reporting and getting data out of systems. And PMC is the project management chair. So uh, in the Apache Software Foundation, an open source project has to be managed by a committee of sort of like actual yeah. committers and and then um, like sort of leaderships for the decision. So are you on the PMC for? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the PMC. And, and like I mentioned a little awesome. bit, so so Max wanted to open source SuperSat. So so he, he was able to get Airbnb to give the, the uh, IP to the Apache Software Foundation to make a like truly open source project, um, and being in the Apache Software Foundation, there's like uh, like procedures we follow. So uh, you can only commit if you're a committer, and to become mm -hmm. a committer, there's a process where uh, your your work. So you start working with with Apache Superset, uh, and then eventually you get voted in as a committer, and then after a while, being a committer, you can be voted in uh, as a PMC member. Um, and we also have a process called the Superset Improvement Proposal. So this is similar to other <laughs> projects. It's very Python-y. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you want to... And, and SIP this, and PEP, right? <laughs> yeah, well, we call it SIP because it's Superset yeah. Improvement Proposal. <laughs> I know, and it's a PEP to Python. Yeah, similar to Python. Yeah. Kaf Kafka has KIP. Uh, <laughs> and, and basically, like, this also arose from the, like, having a product that was basically built cross companies. Uh, where if I want to introduce something that's like radical, I, like we need to have an agreement. So there's a process where you, if you're introducing breaking changes or like any radical changes, uh, you need to write a proposal. You need to describe what are like uh, the side effects of your proposal, any dependencies you're adding, um, and any alternatives that you considered. So not just like, hey, this is what I'm proposing, but I also looked into these other things. And then it gets discussed on the mailing list, and then we have a week to vote, and and it's very conservative. Like if if you get a one veto, that's enough to like block it. We never had any vetoes though. Like it's a very friendly United community. Yeah. I was just gonna say you're scaring people away. Here. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not that hard. Like uh, I mean, yes, that's very like it's a, it's an awesome process and stuff. And I I'm I'm a Apache committer myself, so I know. Like this works really, really well. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, don't be scared. If you want to help out Apache Superset or any other Apache project, you can just send pull requests in yeah. or or other contributions, and that's totally fine. Yeah, as well. thank you. So right. you're, you're telling and, us and it's we, not like Congress, okay? <laughs> uh, and we have we have like um, we have tickets. Like if you want to get started, we have tickets that are marked as like starter tasks. Uh, like I said, you can't actually commit to the repo, but you can create the PRs and then a committer will yeah. merge it for you. Uh, That's it's a the super same in Trino community. as well, by the way. We're not an Apache project. We have our own Trino Software Foundation, but it's very similar. And maybe we should start having a tip. Trino there you go. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, so now, how long has yeah. how how long has Superset been in the Apache community and and around? Right, it sounds like it's quite a history, right? Like, I mean, also in considering how powerful it is, it must it must have been around for a while. Like, if you see later in the demo, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I think it started two thousand and fifteen, or yeah, it was called Carvel. Carvel. Car well, it's, it was started as Pan Panoramics. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I don't know if you're familiar with Panoramics. It's the druid from from the the comic book uh, Asterix. Mm, no. Oh, uh, okay. It's Very not cool. super famous in the U.S. I think it's more popular outside of the U.S. But like Panoramix was a druid, so since Superset was a UI to druid, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was called Panoramix, and then Airbnb said, "Well, this is like a copyright violation." Um, <laughs> it was renamed to Caravel. I remember seeing like some reference to Caravel in the source code still. And Caravel was also deemed like politically incorrect because of the implications of. Uh, caravels coming to america yeah and uh, naming is hard man like yeah. when we had to rename away from presto right. yeah finding a name it's not easy and any programmer knows that anyway right like just like i don't know like sometimes in pull requests when people start arguing about variable names it's just like okay yeah well but, yeah it's one of the hard problems yeah i'm searching for how do you spell panoramics p-a-n-o-m-a-r-i-x I used to read the ask like I'm from Europe myself, so I used to read those comics as a kid, but I read them in German, and that druid used to be called Miraculix back then, like oh. Miracle. <laughs> so just two weeks ago, I went. Yeah, and then from Caravel, it know, became Superset. Mm. Do you know when uh, Superset uh, joined the Apache? Apache, so maybe you want to talk about the incubation process a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was early on, I think. Uh, so I started working on Superset. Uh, so I have a long experience with Presto slash Trino. Uh, I worked at Facebook. Uh, so I've been using Presto slash Trino for, for, I don't know, since seven years ago. Uh, I'm a big fan, so I'm happy to be here. Well, what, um, what was it like uh, working on the outside of the of the at that time Presto team? You know, going going to Martin and Dane and David, was it like uh, oh the back end guys, or were they pretty open? So we had a project. <laughs> so we we worked. We were the first customers of the Raptor uh, connector, which was I think called the native connector. Also, we needed we needed like we were doing uh, building a tool to analyze experiments in real time. So we needed we needed to analyze a lot of data in like sub second latency. And it was a really hard project. I think for six months, our team actually moved next to, to the Presto team at Facebook so we could like work together and, and make sure we would make the deadline. It was, it was a bit stressful, a lot of late meetings, uh, but, but we made it. It was, it was, it was really amazing. Like the, all the improvements in performance like the team got. Um, and then I joined, I left Facebook, joined Lyft in 2017 to work with Max on Superset. So I joined Lyft to work on Superset. Back then it was already in the Apache Software Foundation uh, as an incubator project. Um, so once you join the Apache Foundation, you, you're in the incubator stage where you're just uh, getting your, your, your project ready to, to mature, uh, which for us took a long time, I think. Uh, Sometimes I think Superset might have been open source a bit too early. Um, so I think during that time from 2017, 2018, there was a lot of refactoring, a lot of decisions that were like um, uh, referred to like, not referred, but like we still had jQuery code in Superset back then. And so so there was a lot of refactoring and, and because 
we had already it was open source and multiple companies were using it was hard to do like these these hard refactors we were like well this is what we're going to do right you need to like always implement a, a like a v2 parallel to the v1 and then eventually deprecate v1 and then eventually switch to v2 and then delete v1 so everything was was slower um and we graduated last year so it took us yeah maybe three years not not that long i think but that's a that's a great achievement like i mean i i was involved when with one project going into the Eclipse Foundation as well. And there's just a lot of things that like when you just, like, you know, when you just like make a big open source project and you just throw it across the <laughs> GitHub and make it public and say it's open source, that's a total different ballgame from to having like a well-matured, well-managed or yeah. project with like the right licenses or yeah. the libraries and stuff. It, it's a different beast and like it, it's work and like, Congratulations! It's good, like you yeah. did. Yeah, thank you. And also uh, reaching top level, right? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Um, so, so uh, you were you were once you you said we we were finishing off at the story with Lyft, right? Uh, and then what? What I, I do want to kind of finish up the close the gap on. Oh you yeah, went to preset, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I joined Lyft to work on Superset, and Max left after a year, started Preset. Uh, and I still wanted to, like, stay at Lyft and, and develop Superset. And, like, that time I did a lot of work. We were using Presto SQL, well, Trino. And so I did a lot of work. It was our basically our main database. So I did a lot of work to get Superset having, like, nice features with, with uh, Trino. Uh, like the the complex uh, column types, so we we can like expand uh, like objects into pseudo pseudo columns and like arrays into rows. Uh, we did a lot of work with like uh, query cost estimation, like that was a big thing at Lyft, saving money, uh, trying to become profitable. So we did a lot of uh, work into estimating queries before you ran them, um, and then eventually. Uh, like I started, I started working on other things and I realized I didn't want to work on other things. I wanted to keep working superset. Uh, so I joined preset and that cool. was last year, September. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So could you explain a little bit, like you enter a query in and, uh, to, and you submit it to, let's say on the, on the SQL lab or maybe like a virtual data set. Uh, and we'll get into more, like, I think it'll be easier to see these kind of visually uh, when we go through the demo, but, uh, mm -hmm. but there's kind of these, you know, ways that you'll submit a query. Uh, could you kind of explain the flow now that we've kind of got a very good idea, a mental model of like what's, what clients are sitting underneath uh, superset and how that ends up getting at least submitted to Trino, but, but you can kind mm -hmm. of envision the same with other databases. So how, uh, what's the journey of a query, I guess, uh, in, in superset. Yeah. Uh, let me just like step back and go first, like, bottom up and then I'll go from the query. So Manfred mentioned, uh, we have the in Python world, we have the Python DB API, which was a huge step forward if, because before people would implement clients to talk to databases and each one would have its own API. So um, there was the first version, we were in the second version and, and it basically it standardizes the, the pro, like the APIs in like the, the objects, the connection object, the cursor object, which methods you have. Um, it's not a perfect abstraction. There's uh, some DB, some libraries they implement some things slightly different. Um, the way you pass parameters to the query, right? So when you're like writing Python, talking to a database, you don't want to add the the parameters to the query as like using string interpolation because you're opening to your SQL injection attack. So you 
you basically put placeholders in your SQL query and then you pass the parameters separately and let the database uh, replace the placeholders with the data. Uh, different DB API libraries, they do that differently. So SQL Alchemy is important for us because it offers that abstraction layer, right? And with SQL Alchemy, you can, and you can write. One thing I discovered the other day, I, I was working Firebird. Firebird doesn't support the limit expression. It, you actually do select first 10 instead of select and then limit 10. Uh, so SQL Alchemy takes care of that. If you, if, you, if you write a SQL Alchemy query and you say, hey, I want to limit 10, it knows, okay, I'm going to use the Firebird dialect. So I'm actually going to write select first 10. If I'm talking to Trino, I'm going to do select star limit 10. Uh, so SQL Alchemy offers that abstraction layer, but that's still not enough for us. Um, we have our own abstraction layer, which is called the, the DB Engine spec. And it basically started as a way of having a consistent way of computing time granularities for time series, right? So if I have some data and I'll look at, I want to have it like uh, hourly values. Uh, in some databases like Postgres, I can do date trunk hour and it truncates to hour. Uh, other databases are more complicated. So all, all of those uh, definitions, they, they live in inside superset in, in the DB engine spec. Um, so I think the first thing was just getting the time granularity right so we can do like, and there's like some complex ones, like you want to look at weeks starting Sunday, uh, or you want to look at just weekly data. Um, and then there's a few other things, like some databases, they don't support joins. Uh, some databases don't support uh, like subselects. Uh, so all those things we need to know because uh, we, we build queries uh, program, like we build queries automatically for the user, depending on where you are in superset. Um, the thing about superset is I, I like it because it basically democratizes access to data. If you want to write SQL, you can go and write SQL. If you want to just explore a table uh, using uh, a web interface, you can just click and, and visualize data. And if you don't even know how to do that, somebody can do an interactive dashboard that you can at least like add some filters or click on the dropdowns and see how the data changes. Uh, so it caters to a lot, like a big audience. Um, so, so basically, like if you're in SQL Lab, SQL Lab is our SQL ID. The SQL that that the database you're talking to expects, right? So, it's basically like a low-level interface where you write SQL. We send it to to the database almost unmodified. Uh, the modification we do, we you can define. Uh, uh, our, so the, the configuration for superset is, is defining Python. There's a Python file, which is, is great because it's very flexible, but it's also very dangerous, right? Because you have basically Python code uh, as configuration, but you can define a function that mutates your query before sending it. So the function gets the query, gets some context, and you can modify the query. Uh, at Lyft, we, we use that with, uh, with Trino to annotate the user that ran the query. So we would add a comment with like a little JSON payload in the beginning of the query. And it would basically say, oh, the user that ran the query is this person. And, and these are the tables that they're uh, querying. And this is the timestamp or things like this. Um, so in SQL, that basically goes through that mutator and then you run and, and you can have sync or async query. So if you have an async query, basically you submit to a queue and then the worker is going to pick up that query. It's going to uh, submit the query. And when it's done, it will put the results in the results backend. And then SQL Lab will fetch the results from the results backend. 
And if it's synchronous, then you basically wait for the data to come back. So, so you mentioned a user. So, so just uh, from a practical point of view, um, typically in an organization like Lyft or whatever, you would have your Trino cluster, you would have your multiple databases, and then you run a server or a cluster of servers for superset or how does superset scale in that kind of, like, or how heavy is it even? Or do you like, like how many concurrent users do you typically have on, on one server or how does that work? Yeah, because I it's think, multiple user interface, right? Like yeah. you log in. Yeah, you log in. Yeah, um, it's pretty lightweight. Like Superset is basically doing the glue between uh, the user and then it's even if you write SQL directly or indirectly using the Explore view, right? The Explore view, you you just click and we generate the SQL for you. But it's basically the glue between sending SQL to like routing SQL to databases, getting the results back and showing to the user. And then we have JavaScript libraries to, to visualize. So it's pretty lightweight. You can like scale it horizontally, trivially, because okay. uh, it's just like web servers, basically, like I said, routing requests from users to databases and sending the data back. So it's a lot of Java client side JavaScript and a couple of Python implemented web like web APIs that talk to it, and then that just goes over to the database. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very nice. And and at Lyft we had uh, we realized there's a lot of value also just in the superset backend. Uh, we had teams working building custom data visualization. Like one of I think the biggest advantage of superset it's it's very generic. You can do a lot of stuff. It's self serve. Um, but if you want to build custom data visualization applications, like at Lyft, we wanted to have like ride replay. So you can like look at what happened during a ride. Uh, building that with Superset will be hard. So people started building custom data applications, data visualization applications. And we basically told them like, hey, Superset has an API. We already implemented access control. We have caching. We already talked to all the databases, like write your application and talk to the Superset API to oh, get your okay. data. Um, so that's another like big use was like a lot of people. So are just it's like using an alternative backend. web interface for the same REST API, basically. Yeah. In a way. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. So I, it's something you just mentioned there too, the caching. Uh, can you can you go into a little bit of like how how Superset handles caching, what it's caching, what it's not caching, and that kind of. Yeah, we so we use again going back to the open source, we use uh, an abstraction so. Um, there's a Python library called WorkZoig, and they implement a caching API that can be in memory, can be file-based, can be like uh, memcache, Redis. Um, so basically, in your configuration file, you import a class that implements the caching API, and you point to that. So it's very, very flexible. And we usually cache. So the cache, uh, I mean, we talked about naming things. Uh, caching is the other hard problem. Um, <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but you can specify like per database timeouts for cache. Uh, we, we try to cache as much as possible while being like aware that uh, some users have access to something, some users don't. So you can't really reuse the cache blindly, right? It has to depend on the context. Um, but when you run a, and like caching is hard because if you run a query in like, if you run a Trino query and you have like select star from table where uh, I don't know, date is greater than now minus seven days, right? If you cache that like blindly and you run the query, if you run the same query a week from now, you should get different results because now it changes, right? Um, so I know Airbnb worked on, on taking care of these edge cases where 
you have functions that are are non-deterministic, uh, you shouldn't cache uh, the results. Um, I also worked on an experimental browser cache. Uh, so like some things we can cache on the browser and we basically use e-tag. So when you, when, you, when you get a response, uh, when the browser gets a response from superset, we send the hash of the resource. And later if the browser, so this is especially for making dashboards fast. Um, so if you load a dashboard for the first time, every chart that you get, you get a hash of the, the content. And then later when you load the dashboard, your browser automatically send that hash and, and superset will see if, if the content is the same. You just say, hey, the content has not been modified. And then the browser doesn't need to download anything. It's just like a quick uh, um, request without a payload. Um, yeah, but that's also experimental. Like there are a few edge cases. Uh, there, there are many edge cases. And like for that work on the browser cache, there were a few edge cases that, that were not, I think, captured correctly. Uh, so it's too experimental and we need to do some work there. Well, very interesting I mean, though. And those are edge cases. Like the general usage of superset is already pretty amazing. So I'm not sure, but do you think we want to just like dive in and have a look? Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm down to unless, uh, do you guys have any, I mean, I'm sorry, we, 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 we kind of uh, just interrogated uh, Beto the whole time and, and I, we didn't ask Srini anything, but. Uh, I just want to make a comment, like as an engineer, I always see the, the bad sides of Superset. Like Manfred said, <laughs> the project is amazing. It's like, I love you. I use it every day because uh, I really try to dog food. It's an amazing product. Yeah. But as an engineer, we're always like fighting with the bugs. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's what's on my radar. And, and it's funny though, because it's just like, that's, I think when we're on a, on a talk show like this, like we, a, a good uh, amount of the people listening in are, are engineers and they like to know, I, they understand that there are problems with any system. There are bugs. And if you are saying there are not, you know, they're, they're not going to eat any of that. So yeah. uh, it's, it's like, just tell me what the problems are. So I, at least I know them and then, you know, we'll, we'll move on to the cool stuff. And that's, that's what we like to talk about. So yeah. <laughs> anyways, and so, like I said, we're conservative, I think in the development process, like the, the browser cache is behind the feature flag. So we have a feature flag system that you can enable or disable features. And it's, it's turned off because we know it's not like ready for, for prime usage. Um, so when we introduce new things that we're not really like 100% or 99% sure, we, we put them behind the feature flag and turn them off by default. Okay. That's good. Good, good. Okay, let me uh, transition over here, this, this username, but dungdm93, I know is a user that comes from the Trino community, or at least he's part of the Trino community, may have been part of the, uh, the Superset community as well for some time, but uh, uh, he, he ran over and basically did this uh, uh, awesome uh, pull request, um, and, uh, and basically he, he uh, uh, realized that the JDBC driver, which is what ultimately, or not JDBC, is it, I can't remember, do we say the JDBC driver ultimately gets called uh, through the Python uh, client? Was that right? No, yeah. no, no. The Python oh. client goes directly to the... Directly the to the API, REST? To the REST API, yeah. Okay. But there, the, the, the headers change, right? Yeah. Like the header, HTTP header... Yeah, where was it? ...had to be changed, so... Migrating guide, and I think if, there's, if you're upgrading clients... So that we know for sure JDBC needs this JDBC uh, colon Trino... That's going to be like a prefix that if you don't have that up to date with your JDBC, it's going to blow up. But yeah, I think it's this one right here, this protocol 
uh, and instead of saying Presto, you would say Trino, no? Yeah, and it's the the, the HTTP header as well. HTTP um, header. A bit, bit fur further up, I Further think. up. This is... um, client compatibility there. Oh, the... yeah, Xpresto versus Xtrino. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that would ultimately break. And and basically, I mean, so it's a small, ridiculously small change that's, that's going on here. Um, but... Uh, it, it was, you know, it, it will ultimately break and basically make it to where we, we would not be able to um, to to include this into uh, superset. So uh, so very simple change, but yet, you know, huge impact in terms of what we can do. And, and this is getting into um, some of the um, the uh, basically the database engine that uh, that Beto was just talking about. Um, I wanted to take a quick look. This was this was shown to me. Uh, by by Srini actually. Uh, so this is, uh, in fact, I mean, I'm not going to be able to talk too much to this. This is basically the base database engine. Uh, Beto or Srini, do you want to hop in here and kind of explain what this file does? So you we can make it a bit bigger as well, Brian. Yeah, let me see if I can. Yeah, I think Beto is probably uh, more familiar with this than I am. So <laughs> okay. Him. Yeah, Beto, uh, what's 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 going on here in this base one? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, <laughs> I mentioned a little bit. We have like, if you look at the built-in built-in time grains, uh, if you scroll down a little bit, this is this was the first thing that we implemented in DB Engine specs, uh, and it's basically like how each database can take. Um, uh, a, a column, a metric, and group it by this uh, like specific time grain. Got it. Um, and then there's a lot of functions basically like for autocomplete. So like, how do you get given a database? How do you get the list of of tables that is in that database for autocomplete? Given a table, how do you get the list of columns? Um, how do you get the list of functions um, that um, uh, database support also for autocomplete? Uh, this part here is like basically mapping the exceptions we get back from the database into meaningful error codes. Okay. Uh, so like if you try to query a column that doesn't exist, each database will basically return their own error message, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So in each specific DB engine API, DB spec, we implement the logic that parses the error message and says, oh, this is a missing column error. This is a missing table error. This is syntax error that sounds very familiar to things that we have going on in press or in Trino. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the yeah. same problem when yeah. you have plugins it's like it's great but then it's <laughs> you have to map everything back to one one common uh representation <laughs> yeah um so, so cool. and then of course like also different uh db api libraries they have different types they call things differently um got it so there's stuff to do that. So in this, so, oh, go ahead. If you finish on your thought. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. So um, arguably, with Trino doing things like um, supporting like higher precision time, for example, like we're going down to nanosecond now, um, and that uh, in fact affected how timestamps are, are parameterized and that kind of stuff. We could work with you to ensure that it that sort of translates all the way up to superset that way via yeah. this abstraction, right? Yeah. I think that, that that's awesome. actually like the, the core thing that was done here. And I don't know if it's going down to the picosecond stuff that we have uh, or anything like that, but I think this is like potentially handling it saying truncate anyways. I'm imagining it's like- an, Yeah, uh, I mean, in the superset UI, there's no way, as far as I know, to trigger past like more than a- a more granular than a second, right? Yeah. Beto. yeah. So yeah. this is this is really about explore, right? Because as we talked about SQL yeah. Lab, the, the query is mostly going untouched. So 
Yeah, in the in the query generation, we currently just in the UI don't have a way to enable users to go more than a second. So that's probably yeah. the, the oh, real okay. limitation, I would say. Gotcha. Unless you're unless uh, well, you're doing. We have to send a feature request for that so that you support <laughs> higher precision, so you can do scientific plotting of whatever I don't know. Well, f high yeah. high frequency trading. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is for aggregating over time, right? You, yeah, you can yeah. always like yeah. not aggregate over time, and then you get like Everything, the values yeah. as precise sure. as you have. Yeah, oh, that's okay. the so none. That does work. Okay, cool. Yeah. You, yeah. So if you look at the first value there in that dictionary, it's like none. It's like no t no time aggregation, and it basically you use the column itself. Got it. Uh, but if you want to have like the data average every second, you would use the PT1S, which is ISO standard for a one second interval. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's some functions like, well, if you have like a native uh, uh, date time, timestamp, a time, how do you convert it to a Python object, which is the next uh, method? Oh, okay. Okay. So this is date. Yeah. Date versus just a, like a long value or something. So. This is like if your database yeah, has a timestamp, uh, how do you build it from? It's like if you want to, like if you have a query, like if you're writing a query, but we're like internally in Superset, we treat time as daytime objects. Mm -hmm. So we need to map that to something that Trina will understand, right? Because yeah. it's a Python object. So this handles the conversion to something that. Um, Gotcha. That Trino understands. Yeah. Okay. Time okay. is hard, also. Oh man, don't even like time zones. <laughs> yeah, time zones. <laughs> like uh, if you're going between, like, uh, uh, let's say the Indi India's standard time versus, uh, and which is a half uh, as some hours and a half off from, like, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> half hour, yeah. it's some like time zones are 15 minutes offset. Yeah, exactly. Also, it's. it's like, Oh, and there's also, you can't like, there's, there's some that are so close and like, depending on like, they'll, they'll use different time zones in, in the same geographical location <laughs> as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm from Brazil. Brazil is, was weird because we used to have the daylight savings. We don't have it anymore, but yeah. it used to vary every year, which day it started, which day it ended, like Congress would approve. <laughs> and, and then you can't automate things, right? Like yep. if you're scheduling something three months in the future, you don't know if it's going to be daylight savings or not. Because yeah. Yeah. Congress hasn't decided. Right. Yet. You got to really focus on Congress's uh, Twitter feed and make sure as soon as that comes out. <laughs> there just needs to be like an ORM on top of the Congress. Yeah. So yeah. You, get, you get notified, you just ping it every minute. Yeah. Oh, man. You still have daylight savings? <laughs> yeah. And then you have to have some sort of inference into like what the tweet means and saying if it is positive uh, daylight savings or not daylight yeah. savings <laughs> to fully automate that. Yeah. Oh, man. And then they just forget to tweet and then you're. <laughs> your system blows up uh okay so uh cool so so that's the, that's basically uh jumping back into this pr like that's what this pr is doing like it was it's kind of getting uh some of the base functionality on how we're mapping uh particularly our, our more complex time time uh stamp stuff so that you can kind of rely on on those uh kind of group buys uh those those timing group buys uh that that are kind of natural things that you'll like i guess pretty common things it sounds like uh that, that you're going to use in the uh in the user interface so um so without further ado let's kind of hop into the the demo now um uh let me i'd like to kind of cover real fast some of the steps that i did to set this up so so to set this up like i'm using uh, docker 
uh, local Docker image. And I have uh, like a typical Trino Docker image up that I use pretty much like every week. Uh, I've shown in previous episodes kind of how to set that one up. Uh, and and uh, we're also setting up actually a couple of these in, in another repository uh, that we'll be trying to publicize here shortly. But uh, I basically went to uh, Superset's website uh, and uh, looked at the kind of intro. I don't know if I linked it here. I think it's, the, yeah, these instructions. So if you go to Superset's uh, website, they have documentation and like very beginning of documentation is it's installing local using Docker Compose. So uh, if you don't have Docker installed, uh, depending on all this stuff, they uh, great job here at documenting, doing a quick overview on like based on your OS, which one you should do. We have some similar stuff to this, but usually we like we we tell Linux people to just go fend for themselves. <laughs> but everything is is super simple if you're on Mac and Windows. If you're on Linux, you're you have a, a an interesting journey to take. Um, so then, uh, so from there, uh, like I'll, I'll step over to my uh, instructions that are more Trino specific. You'll basically clone uh, the Apache superset. Uh, let me actually go to this uh, GitHub link here. So like if you look at Apache superset, they have kind of, uh, this is the entire uh, Docker, or uh, like they have ev their original like code, but then embedded is, is also like the Docker uh, folders. They also have like their front end. Everything is kind of embedded all in the same uh, project location here. And then you'll kind of go down here and see there's like two Docker Compose files. Um, more recently, this non-dev was added to master. Yeah. I know that's that's causing a little bit of chatter because I also kind of ran into this this one as well. Um, Srini, do you want to kind of explain what this uh, Docker Compose versus Docker Compose non-dev YAML is? For yeah, I think the uh, I actually have not had a chance yet to use non-dev, but based on the context I have in the PR, I think it's it's not building the asset. So with Docker Compose, the original one. It, it will like fire up all the containers, including the init one. And then it'll like, that will finish. But then there's like a super underscore node, I think it's called. And that one will take like 10 to 20 minutes to actually basically run um, NPM build. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so the, the non-dev one doesn't do that. Uh, I think it is just using- It's pre-built. Just the pre-built ones. Yeah. yeah, it's just using the pre-built ones so that people, um, yeah, it can just skip that step. So. That's one of the single most common things people ask about is, you know, I, I have everything running. I did Docker Compose up. I go to localhost 8088 and it's like empty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So if you, if you want to use like, uh, if you are developing, I guess, uh, especially like on the yeah. front end, you would want to use the regular Docker Compose. Uh, but if you're not developing on, I think like the front end or, or doing anything, you're just basically playing around like we are, you would want to use non-dev and that's just going to give you a pre-built, like, uh, you would have, if you did do the regular dev one, you'd have to go into the superset front end folder and then run like your NPM build and, and build it yourself. Yeah. And that's going to take a couple minutes. And then once that's done building, then you could run the dev one. But if you're not interested in dev, which like if you're coming from a Trino perspective and you're just wanting to play around, you can easily just use this Docker Compose non-dev YAML one. So I uh, wanted to explain that in the instructions explicitly. So we we first do this, uh, uh, pull, pull down the, the this whole um, uh, repository. And then uh, the next step is underneath this Docker folder here. Uh, did I just I, I hop out of that? No, cool. I saw this up. There's this Docker folder here once you first pull that in. So you want to change directories to the root of this folder, and then you can hop into like Docker in here. And you're going to want to basically create a folder underneath this, this directory in your local. 
um, that is called uh, requirements-local. And so you can just do this all in one command. And, and the basic line that you're going to include there is going to uh, be SQL Alchemy dash Trino. And if you look at uh, our, our setup here, that's actually pointing us, uh, I think it's this thing right here, right? As, or is this basically, it's basically a tag, I think, that is, that is pulling you to, uh, how to how to, it maps this Trino uh, value to, uh, to the specific SQL Alchemy library that we're going to be invoking, if I'm not totally edging that. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Okay. So, so that's, so basically once you add that to requirements local, uh, when you build Docker it's going to point to, uh, it's basically going to load that library. And then once you've done that, uh, then you'll, you'll go into Docker compose dash F and you'll the dash F is just to specify the non dev YAML file. And then you'll just set up, up. And that is where we are here. So we have super set up, um, there's a couple init nodes that I already cleared out of here. This worker beat seems to be constantly restarting. Um, <laughs> I, I have a very small like uh, amount dedicated to it, but it doesn't seem to affect anything. So I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> something that could I could be a RAM thing. I, I think we recommend eight gigs of RAM. But, uh, okay, maybe could I, be, I, don't, I honestly yeah. don't know how much I have in here, but yeah. And, and to be honest, uh, occasionally, and when we run some of these queries, I have uh, just a single. Um, I have literally just a single. Uh, uh, coordinator slash worker on this remote Trino. So a couple times, uh, Trino might also crash on us on this demo. So just fair warning. Um, so <laughs> That's once... a typical trap, by the way, when you use Docker Desktop, the default memory allocation is super yeah. low. Yeah, like I, way too low. Yeah, I think I, I updated it. Gigs of RAM on this laptop, and it, it's like four. I think is the default, or six, which is like crazy. Yeah, I think I have a little higher on mine. I can't. I don't remember exactly, but uh, uh, I don't think it's. I think it's eight or so, and and uh, but I can't go too much higher with. Uh, I have OBS also running on this guy, so <laughs> it's it's uh, pretty heavy. First thing, uh, so this is superset, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if it's the first thing you see when you probably hop in. I think, uh, what was the first thing you see? I think you see like a welcome screen. There's usually a login screen the very first time. Ah, uh, yeah. You just type in admin, 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 admin. assuming you're using Docker Compose, and then you'll see this. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it's like pretty flashy stuff. Uh, I have a, the dashboard, uh, we'll, we'll hop into that later. First thing you're going to want to do once you have this set up uh, is you're going to want to go to uh, databases. So there's a little tab on the top that says data, and then it's going to have a drop down that says databases. Uh, and then you'll go, there's a little plus and a database here, and you're going to basically just set the connection. You can name it whatever you want. I named mine Trino. I'm, I'm not going to actually do this because I have it already set up. And then you're going to use the SQL Alchemy uh, URI uh, that, that you need to set up. Um, you can find this uh, under the superset documentation. There's a spot, let's see, so connecting to databases. And then we're down here now on, we very recently got added into the docs. So this is like, uh, I mean, this is showing you the uh, actual PyPy Pi, uh, Pi Pi, uh, uh, project, a SQL Alchemy project um, link here. And then you basically just have the connection string. Uh, that you'll enter in here. And so some of these are optional, uh, particularly like if you're logging into uh, Trino where there's like no authentication, you can just like the password, obviously you won't have to use that there. And then uh, based on how Trino, like one of the security vulnerabilities we just uh, stopped recently, you can use, if your authentication isn't set up, you can use any username, but you have to have a username there. 
Um, and then, uh, and then basically for host name, since we're using this kind of like mid Docker, uh, kind of like between Docker, uh, apps, uh, between compose, uh, you have to use this little hack that, uh, Docker has. So let me go back to this thing right here. I, I have the actual string. I should have probably made this code so it's easier to see, but it's Trino colon forward slash forward slash. Trino as the user, uh, that's that's going to be uh, more or less uh, any name or any name you could put there. You could put uh, foo as long as it's not an empty string. And then you want to put host.docker.internal if you're using the same setup that I'm doing here. And then you can put colon 8080. Optionally, if you want to specify a catalog, you can do forward slash catalog name. Uh, and then you would click add. Uh, those, this will all be in the show notes, by the way, uh, it's already in there. I just basically need to, uh, fix up the, the way it looks. So in the end, it looks like this. You put a database name, uh, specify, uh, host Docker internal and 8080. And one last little bit, uh, while you're configuring this, that, uh, you should probably do is <laughs> I ran into this issue and, and, yeah, uh, uh, right. and, Srini and Beto came to my rescue as I wasn't able to run show catalogs when I first got into SQL and I was like, oh, this must be one of these kind of like weird little limitations on the on the query uh, uh, setup. And actually, uh, well, the problem was uh, is these four, I think four bottom ones uh, check marks were not connected or uh, uh, checked in under the SQL collab uh, settings. So I wasn't able to run uh, data modification uh, uh, queries and I couldn't run create table as I couldn't run create view as and uh, I couldn't do this like kind of multi schema metadata fetch thing. So I basically just enabled all of these things and clicked save as, as well. And then uh, that that allowed me to do things like uh, if I go, let's let's now. So once you set that up, you can actually hop into a SQL editor. Uh, and so there's a, a tab on the top that says SQL lab and you jump into SQL editor and let's open up like a brand new editor before I was getting some weird thing whenever I was trying to just do show catalogs. So we verify our database is pointing to Trino. Um, you can now like look to see these different schemas that we have. Uh, we're particularly going to be using galaxy schema, but I, when we're running queries here in, in the lab, we don't actually have to. Uh, specify these. You, you could specify these kind of like in any session where you don't want to have to sit there and say like, you know, catalog dot schema dot table. Um, but, uh, but for our uh, cases, I like to, I always like to have that in my queries, but yeah, now we can run show catalogs before. Uh, let me just go real fast. Just to show. Just for context also for the Apache superset users, a catalog is basically mm. the connection definition to a data source in Trino. So you can connect as many data sources as catalog. And so you can like have one that's the PostgreSQL database number one, another one next one, number two. And then another one is like mm -hmm. your Hive uh, object storage. And another one is, and they're all separate catalogs. And then in the catalogs, you have the schemers that could be like a database, so to speak. And then inside there's the tables. Yeah. So if we, let's look at actually at an example query. Uh, so in here we're, we're talking to like a, a hive, um, a hive catalog. And then in that hive catalog, uh, we have, um, so this is just like a, something that's specifying a, a particular, uh, connector that we're using. And it's going to have like, uh, particular properties that knows how to connect out to let's, in this case, we're, we're talking to an S3, uh, object store. So uh, it has all of our data stored in there, and it also uses uh, Glue as the um, as the meta store. So uh, all that stuff's configured on the catalog level, 
And then I can then create uh, schemas underneath this. So I called this one Galaxy based on one of our Starburst more recent. Uh, um, I, I, this was a, a demo for uh, one of our recent um, products that we released called Galaxy. And then uh, specifically to the table. Um, and so when we pull uh, when we pull this out, we're actually you know talking to some Hive connector that is pointing to uh, some schema that's created underneath it called Galaxy. You could think about this in like MySQL at this level is kind of like your database. Um, and then after that, you're gonna have underneath databases, you'll have like a table. Um, so every single one has a little bit different. Uh, that's one of the things that maybe another kind of path that we can start working on coordinating is like, you know, how could the superset UI maybe encompass some of these different uh, um, categorical hierarchies of, of like, uh, you know, different sets. Cause there's even one you can go above, uh, on, ca on catalogs, uh, if you did over, uh, multiple clusters. So like some, some databases also treat like different clusters as a higher level of, of, uh, uh, containment categorization. And so you can like, uh, point to your AWS cluster dot, catalog and there dots, uh, something else. And then you could have another ca uh, cluster called on-prem cluster and then point to those. So it may be interesting to see how at some point, uh, if, if, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure it would not be an easy undertaking <laughs> and this would be something yeah. that would have to get presented, uh, to, but we should do it. Yeah. We definitely should do it. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to, uh, we can have that dialogue, you know, moving forward from, from this. Uh, I think this is just a good uh, initial, initial doc. Uh, we're kind of running uh, low on time. So why don't I uh, rush, rush along here? So we, we set up these, uh, these two kind of, I, I think the flow that I found was really useful coming from Trino and coming into um, a superset. We started out, you know, I, I, I played around uh, running this data and, and basically built up my query, verified that the data I got back is what I was expecting and what I wanted. So here we have a, a flight table and a COVID cases table. Uh, flight data is coming from uh, BTS. Uh, it's basically just saying like uh, flights from one location to another uh, per row. And then you have uh, COVID cases, which is uh, basically the CDC. Every time they get a, a case reported, uh, they, they record it to this database. And so we've scraped that, put this into S3, and now we're querying it through uh, Trino, uh, and then now pulling this out here. So this is grouping by the date. Um, and uh, then you get per date, you get a flight count and a COVID count. Um, or basically number of COVID cases being counted uh, uh, in particular. And then I had another query that I did, uh, you know, we were looking at origin state and destination state. I also had to get uh, the uh, an extra kind of copy of these columns uh, so it could follow an ISO format for another one of the visualizations we'll look at. And then I just did the flight count uh, from uh, origin to destination state. So those are my two SQL queries. If I want to actually kind of like go and explore those and start seeing kind of like, okay, what, what I want to make some sort of like uh, data set out of this. So the next, this next kind of abstraction that superset has uh, goes into a data set. You can then like create this saved query and it becomes kind of like a, almost a view. I, I picture data set as like, you know, it can be either a physical representation of, of an actual table you have, or it can be like this saved query that is uh, essentially like a, um, a non-materialized view, I would imagine. Um, so right. let's go. So if we look at these things, we have these two and I basically named them the exact same thing. And I changed query to, uh, to be a data set. Is that, is that correct? Beto, you, you were kind of, uh, I think agreeing, uh, that this is, yeah. 
virtual ones are, are like unmaterialized views more or less yeah yeah they're, they're like a view but it lives on the superset layer yeah so it yeah. could be a view on top of a view in database layer. yeah exactly like the superset view views all the way down yes <laughs> i've definitely done that once uh, virtual on top of a view <laughs> oh man yeah like it's like how many views down before we get to the real thing <laughs> um so so if we go into one of these uh let's say we want to actually like start visualizing this origin state data uh thing if I wanted to create like a visualization on here, uh, we'll, we'll create a simple, like just, we'll use this chart type uh, as whatever this default is here. And uh, let's run the query on just basically showing a table of the data. Um, if it does- Your last week, it's probably gonna be- Oh yeah, that's, that's right. So by default, it has the time range of last week and this, this data is from last year. So, uh, so we could do last year or we can just uh, basically take the filter off. Uh, where is it? No filter. Uh, that's how I roll on Twitter. There's no filter. <laughs> uh, and Instagram. And Insta I don't have an Instagram yet, but I should, I should invest. <laughs> Start, uh, uh, making my foray out. So it's right now it's doing a query. It'd be hilarious if this was a cra crashed Trino now. <laughs> so yeah, again, a lot of the, when you're running this all on your own computer, it's a little slow, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's fun to just play around. Uh, if you have a little AWS space, I highly recommend. Um, let me see, we're getting a count here. Is that, uh, uh, is there something else I did wrong? If you choose non-aggregate, yeah, then they're yeah, all, so records. all records. Oh, there my, you go. There and then you go. pick the columns. Uh, so you'll need to still pick uh, columns afterwards. Let's... Yeah, it's going to not like that you haven't picked any column names. So okay. Should, yeah, I should have. We'll do those too. The run button. Run. I, was, I said it was a simple uh, chart, but then I was wrong. Let's see. And here's where we would break Trino. No, Trino's still up. It's chugging along. It has to do a lot of data re retrieval, right? No. Everybody's nervous. Like, what's going to break first? Trino <laughs> or Superset? <laughs> front end. Chrome just crashes. Oh, yeah. Actually, this this is Trino down. Yeah, there we go. So let's restart Trino. It'll take it just a second. And then we, I, once, once it starts fresh, uh, I should have just like let this thing, I should have run this query while we were talking so that I could cr intentionally crash Trino. And now we should be good for a little while. <laughs> we could also limit the, we could limit the, oh, yeah, the let's, time range. Let's that, do, that's probably a good way to. Or do a row limit even. Uh, would that help? If, uh, will it though? If, if Trino still has to, to get, get everything. Yeah, do sure. you have an index on the time column? Yeah, exactly. Let's see, let's do, uh, we can do like previous, um, wanna do, let me see, we'll do custom and we'll go back yeah. specific time. We'll fill this up, March, 2020. We'll go like September 1st to, yeah. And we'll move this. So there's, there's essentially a lot of like really useful controls to build your query just in the UI, right? Like yep. you don't need to type any SQL queries. Oh, just shoot. Build it all up. I just, I just clicked out of it on accident. I've, I've done this many times. It, it took some getting used to. Uh, um, yeah, this, this time picker is new. It's just in the last few months. It was part of 1.0. So there used to good. only be a few options. Um, I think just there, there was a calendar and then like last week, last month, and now it's like a full blown, almost like a language 
um, yeah. metadata language going on here. So we went to November 1st. I'm actually can't. Oh man, you're kidding me. I think now. I should have gone to, uh, this is December 1st, not November 1st. I know I have data in November, so let's, let's do there on query. We'll get this, we'll get this simple table chart. <laughs> there we go. We got oh. stuff. Okay. So we'll call this table chart. Um, and we can save that chart now. Once you have a chart, uh, then you can, ba you, you can basically reference that later. What we'll do is now hop into, you could create a dashboard. I've already created one before this. And so, um, I start it. I, I, I just, so that way it's at the top of my list. Um, so that's kind of a nice useful feature. If you have like ones you care about, you can do cool things like markdown. Look at these, all these things are querying, uh, Trino simultaneously. And hopefully let's see if Trino breaks again. <laughs> it's kind of like a notebooky thing, right? Like yeah. you can not just have the charts, but explanatory text and stuff. So yeah. yeah, I also noticed later that Brian showed me you can expose them. So you can literally have a nice sort of like information website or info you could kind of even like make an info chart like you yeah. know how like and it can be interactive also you can add like filters that if you select yeah. a value it applies to all the charts um we can even have yeah. maps that would like i built some dashboards where you had the map with zip codes and when you click on the zip code the time series they filter to reflect only the zip codes you selected so um, so here's the grand reveal of the COVID cases right so you kind of what we would expect so uh on the left side you're seeing the uh number of uh flights in a day uh given given each place and then on the right hand side you're seeing the scale for the uh number of COVID cases uh in a day um and so we see like uh basically i think that's the case right or is it what is it or and, and i have yeah, to say for like any zero. data nerd that's just beautiful yeah. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so as we see, we start seeing a couple cases. Uh, March is when I think we uh, in the U.S. is when we started uh, enforcing uh, kind of lockdown. some the lockdowns, right? So, so we start seeing these these take off anyways, though, because there's still like you know a lot of people non-compliant. Things are still people are still moving around, but you see this sharp drop in the flights, and so uh, so this goes on for a while, and then eventually people just got tired. You could see where that ha kind of happens. And then the flights kind of go back up. And this is, I think, kind of our normal uh, uh, spot in, in uh, you know, like kind of how we normally operate. Uh, we, we did go down a little bit just before the holidays. And then you, you start seeing it kind of pick back up during the holidays, especially the, the COVID cases here. Uh, again, and tragically, that, that uh, you know, uh, uh, happened around, around this time. So um, what I did was I wanted to kind of look at this pre-COVID phase of, of kind of January to March. And I wanted to look at this. So this is kind of pre-COVID. And we can then look at like, uh, I think I did uh, July to September. This is kind of, I would say, our, our average uh, kind of de default, uh, uh, how, how we are uh, using flights and, and how we see the COVID cases being uh, uh, discussed. And one cool thing too is, CD, you see these kind of jumps and hops, uh, these very periodical jumps and hops in the data. Uh, I think this is like uh, during a week, week, day, weekdays, and mm -hmm. then like maybe hospitals aren't aren't reporting as much during the weekend. So you see these dips, and then they they kind of hop back up, you know, kind of make back up a little bit for some of the the cases that were being missed or that weren't being reported over the weekend. So and I have interesting things that you you'll see in this data, and it's really nice once you visualize it. It's stuff that we don't typically get to see on the tree. No side we're, we're just seeing a whole bunch of numbers come back 
Um, this is uh, a, probably not super useful because it's very convoluted, but this is the to and from uh, kind of thing. So you, you can kind of hover over Illinois pre-COVID. We were at 2.54. Uh, and then, you know, post-COVID uh, or during COVID, I should say, it actually went up during that time uh, in terms of like the number of flights going out from, from Illinois. Uh, and so I, I'm not sure if that could have been, it, it doesn't actually make too much sense to me, <laughs> to be honest, that, that that number goes up. So I could have had something uh, really kind of wrong with my query going into this. But uh, anyways, the idea of the visualizations there <laughs> may have to go check into that data. But uh, then we can also do the same thing, you know, pre and post uh, and, and during COVID, uh, you can visualize uh, um, these. And surprisingly, I, I should have probably gotten, made sure there was like a scale on this to show you what is uh heavy and what's not but if you hover over i think you can get the basic gist of like south dakota is very pink so that is very pink and this scale means very low and then like texas uh you know one of those kind of inter big uh central stations in illinois are, are like where they have these big international airports and stuff and a lot of uh even um you know domestic type flights that are going there um, so when you look at like the worst type of, uh, you know, like, uh, most, most flights happening across the board, uh, you could see, you know, kind of Illinois and Texas and Georgia kind of taking the ringer there. And then, uh, you know, you see kind of, uh, what is TT? Uh, that's probably a province or something that I'm not aware of. Um, <laughs> uh, Mississippi is definitely low on the count. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's the basic gist is like, uh, if we wanted to then add our, our new little, uh, chart that we just had, we can click the edit button above here. Let me go to this charts and we can act, we see this new table chart that just got created. Uh, and let's just say we want to put it here for, for sake of time. And once it's put up there, that it, uh, pulls out the query out again, and we can scale this, uh, this little table back up here. Uh, maybe it doesn't even need that much space. Um, can scale, uh, make it a little bit bigger there and then boom, it's, it's in a part of our dashboard and we can maybe pull something up, uh, to fill it in here. Maybe this, this bar graph and, you know, uh, bring it back and forth. One question I had, uh, and then obviously we want to save our changes, right? So we can do like share, share, uh, if you're somebody who's logged into superset, um, and this is a question I actually think Manfred asked me yesterday and it's now on my head. Can you, if you expose this in a certain way, can you make this kind of like a public, thing like website that people can go to without having to log into superset is that a, an option yeah um i think we we don't officially recommend it yet we did the security audit and um i don't know Shree, do you know more about the status of it like it's definitely in our roadmap to have the public dashboards i don't know if we already encourage it so it's interesting because there's there's uh I just shared a link if you want to, to do that. But so there are actually some some kind of public data for good projects that use superset a slightly older version. Um, so you definitely can do it. Um, whether or not it's like yeah, as Veda mentioned, like we haven't been like the community in general hasn't been aggressively testing it on the security side. Mm -hmm, Usually yeah. people end up adding their own layer in front of superset. Um, and then exposing that publicly. And yeah, I just, you know, the, the link that I shared, the air quality data comments, they actually even let you run, uh, I don't know if it's quite queries, but they do let you um, like run dashboard filters. So that's actually, that means it's hitting some database, yeah. uh, which is pretty interesting. So and, um, yeah, go ahead. 
And to be clear, you can't do this. You can't make it public. There, there are roles in Superset that are for just yeah. for consumption, and they have only read-only read, read only access. Mm. Uh, so you can't do this. It supports it. It just, like, there could be security holes that we, we don't know about. Yeah. That we're still, like, making sure that we're hardening it so that you're not exposing uh your database or, or like your, your, your service. Right. Cool. But definitely like the, there is built in support for, for a role of users that are like, and if you're logged out, you can just consume dashboards. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a, like a, a really detailed security model. We can have uh, parole security access. Um, we have a new dashboard uh, access model where even if you don't have access to the underlying data, you might still be granted access to the dashboard that builds upon that data. Okay. Um, so there is definitely a public consumption uh, role. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, well, that's pretty amazing. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I was very like, I mean, outside of a little bit of difficulties, I think with some of like some little gotchas, uh, you know, there's, there's the DDL thing when I was trying to do the show catalog, there was the, you know, kind of, uh, when you're compiling on, on Docker compose stuff that, uh, but you guys are still like already even taking steps with that non dev, uh, YAML file and, and things like that. But, um, I, I really think for the most part, it was like, it was super straightforward. If I had any questions, like I put, I remember posting a question on one thing with the, the U S map. Uh, I posted a question on, on how to, cause like I was showing this France map and something like that. And, uh, uh, which I think is the default. Uh, and then I was like, why is this showing France? And then I just like, I Googled it real fast, pulled down, uh, this video that you guys had created already. And then I found the, the answer. And before I even like needed to wait for somebody to answer, like I got that in there, but everybody's like super, super helpful in, in your Slack community. Uh, is there any other kind of way, like if you're, if I'm kind of jumping into superset, like how do I, how do I get kind of involved from a user perspective, as well as from like a developer perspective? Uh, I'll, I'll give the user one to Srini and then maybe Beto, you want to talk about the developer side? Yeah. So I, I'll go first real quick. So on the user side, definitely, you know, um, there's a few different ways. So I will, I will mention that, um, for people who are not technical at all, that don't, you know, not familiar with the command line, um, we like preset where Beto and I work, we do have a cloud hosted version. Um, and so that's, that's definitely one way people can try out the tool without having to jump through the hurdles, um, uh, from the contributor side though, you know, we, um, we've actually just revamped a lot of our Slack channels in the superset community. Uh, and so there's actually some, some friendlier places. There's, we got beginner dash questions for people who can come in and, and bring the, you know, um, any question that they have and not, not kind of feel ashamed about being too junior to ask the question. We have a contribute hashtag contributing channel, um, and a hashtag using dash superset channel. So those are always, um, where someone can come in and, you know, assuming they've gotten superset working or they have access to preset cloud, uh, they can get some help, um, building charts, um, or even, even, you know, figuring out like how to tick the right boxes in, in the database settings as, as you encountered yeah. uh, Brian. So there's, um, yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time in the Slack, so feel free. You can you can ping me directly, post in the channels. I'm I'm there uh, multiple times a day, and I can um, if I can't answer it, um, I'll 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 ping Beto or, or I'll bring in another another person from the community that can answer the question. Awesome. And Beto, yeah. uh, so if I'm if you're wanting to get involved, like uh, if I'm a developer that's like super interested in this visualization stuff or caching or any of these other cool elements that we were talking about today, like how would I get involved? 
Yeah, we have. So I think there's basically two ways. We have uh, issues on GitHub that are tagged as as like appropriate for beginners, uh, and those are usually chosen like something that you can you can like get started quickly. And and the person that's going to review your work is is gonna like be aware that you're a beginner and help you like set up and and spend more time in the code review than you would normally spend, right? You're, yeah. You're, because it's somebody who's who wants to be part of the community. Like I think it's like investing in the community, people joining it, it really pays off on the long run. That's yeah. something we really want to do. Is like, hey, we're gonna spend time getting people set up and becoming developers, but yep. it, it definitely pays off. Uh, we also do developer meetings every two weeks. These are open to anybody, um, and we're doing three different uh, uh, times. Uh, so every two weeks, it's a different time to. To be more friendly with with like people in Europe, people in Asia, people in the US. Hmm. Um, so we do those development meetings. Everybody is like welcome to join. Uh, even if you never use Superset, if you're interested in in developing it, you can hop on, introduce yourself, and just start to catch up with with like who the main committers are and what we're doing. What's the roadmap? The roadmap is public also. But I feel like if you want to be a developer, being those meetings really help to get a sense of of what's going on. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, I really value that. And like all, all these, you know, you guys do a great job of it. Uh, we try to do the same in Trino, you know, making sure that we're investing in people long term and, and making it a really safe space to be kind of, you know, if you're a data engineer, really interested in this stuff, um, you know, making that same kind of uh, space. Um, real fast, uh, Manfred, do you want to uh, take tackle the how to the question of the week? And then we'll we'll call it we'll wrap it up uh, this super long episode we've had this time. Yeah, sure. Hang on. <laughs> so what is the question of the week? The question of the week is um, related to what we talked about already, and that is the REST API. Um, we continuously get questions about like, well, I just want to like talk to the REST API. And um, while that's um, possible, the default answer is basically don't do that. <laughs> because... <laughs> um, because it's complicated, right? Like, as I mentioned earlier, um, the REST API is not a default REST API. Like, it's not just, you know, you do a HTTP post and then a GET or whatever, and you get the result. That's not how it works because, obviously, when you, like, query a database, you get, like, the first 100 records, and then you have to request more. And the, the, the Trino cluster will not get all the data, like a million records or whatever, if you're just looking at the first 100 or so, right? So it, it doesn't go and kick off that process. So if you want to work with the REST API in order to retrieve data, the real answer is don't do that because that's complex um, and hard to implement. And the clients exist to already deal with all that. So we have the Trino client for Python and Go and the JDBC driver and the CLI, all of those deal with all of that complexity. So if you or uh, want to just run queries, just use one of those clients. There's other clients for like R and JavaScript and stuff like that as well. Mm. And if they don't do what you want, maybe help us make them better to do what you want with it. Uh, that's <laughs> always the thing, right? Like open source projects, that's the whole uh, idea. We work together to make it do what we want it to do. So um, do that. And then um, if you are really ending up on a platform where there just is no client, I don't know, like some other programming language or a platform that um, doesn't really have it yet, like, I don't know, C-sharp or whatever, um, then 
potentially look at the docs or and look at another client and sort of like implement along those lines but don't just write it for yourself and then like keep it to yourself like help us make it open source so that others can help you that you can uh, uh collaborate with others and we uh, we we enlarge the ecosystem right the same would apply for like sql alchemy dialects and stuff like that it makes no sense to just invest your effort do your own little thing invent the wheel and then let it rot totally. um, just uh open source it to the community now there's one part to the rest api like if you really go down that route we do have a wiki page that will link in the show notes where it is explained how it works um and then uh work on that the last aspect is we do have some parts of the rest api that are useful like there's an endpoint for example for v1/status and v1/info for example um what they do is they just uh show show back that uh the trino coordinator runs or the like these like so many um workers are up like it's a little bit of like super lightweight information and those are pure rest api endpoints and they can be useful to uh do like liveness or readiness probe sort of thing in a kubernetes uh deployment where you just need to know that it's actually running right like hmm. you can hit those endpoints just fine um obviously you can also hit the the trino web ui it shows you that same information and it, in fact it sits on top of a bunch of more of those kind of rest api things so you can even get to like query plans as json result and that kind of stuff so you can explore that but generally if you really just want to run queries don't work with the rest api <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh well, with that uh thank you very much Srini and thank you very much Beto for enlightening us and uh, and having your community join us as well to kind of uh learn a little bit about Trino and let us learn a little bit about Superset. Uh I think there's a a lot of work we have uh in the future together and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh you know kind of uh making establishing that relationship and making it solidifying it even more and uh so um uh, with that, uh, one last little bit. Uh, music for the show is from uh, Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Christoph Slawakowski. And that is our show. Thank you all for stopping by. <laughs>